or things don't happen how they're supposed to, and you cry out at the top of your lungs, where are you, God? Hey everyone, it's Michael, and welcome back to another message from Elevate Retake. Been off for the past couple weeks, kind of did some one-off sermon series, and just, you know, sometimes it's good to take a break, even from good things. But we're back in the saddle, ready to rock and roll for a new season and a new series in Elevate Retake. This message begins the series called Radical Faith where I and uh, maybe a couple other guests are going to be looking at how to have radical faith, what it looks like to have radical faith, particularly through the eyes of the prophet Elisha, coming specifically from 2 Kings. That's where we're going to spend the next couple weeks. It'll get us into maybe mid-October or so about that. So I am super excited to have you along for this journey. And before we begin with the message, just want to remind you, every Thursday... We have a candid conversation where I invite some of uh, some friends, some colleagues, uh, some people into the studio to talk about the messages and their response to it. And that's really kind of the bulk of this podcast and what we're interested in bringing to you. But we've got to have the message first. We have something to talk about, right? So this is where we are for this week. This week's message is entitled A Double Portion. It comes from 1 Kings chapter 19 and 2 Kings chapter 2. And it looks at the calling of Elisha and the importance of the double portion. Engage question for this week is, if you could have anything you wanted, what would you ask for? So let's dive into the message. Here's where we're headed for uh, the next several weeks. It'll take us probably to about mid-October. Today we're looking at radical faith, living life in the double portion, and we're asking the question, what does it look like to live life in the double portion? What does that mean? If some of you that are familiar with the, the life of Elijah and have read First and Second Kings, I know that that is like your first place that you go in Scripture, right? When you're needing a, a, a kind of a pickup, you go read the stories about the kings that are killing each other and the, the bloodshed and everything else. It just really encourages you, right? Okay, just me. Uh, <laughs> that's where we're headed uh, these next couple weeks. And the question in particular, uh, and thank you, Matthew and Bia, for asking it a moment ago. If you could have anything, what would you ask for? If you could have anything, if, like a blank check. Someone came in and said, you could, I'll, I'll give you anyth- anything that you want. What would you ask for? It's kind of, uh, that, that question makes you think, right? Like, what, what's the, the immediate need? For some of us, it's like, I step seven by Monday, please. God, I just the money to get into school, that's it. Uh, for other of us, it's like promotion, it's a job, it's, it's, it's family. There, there's stuff that you desire in your heart. And I think about that question in particular when it comes to if you go out for frozen yogurt with your friends, right? And there's a difference between when you're pr- paying for your own frozen yogurt and somebody else is like, hey, let me take you out and I got you, don't worry. Because like when you look at your bank account and then look at all of the wonderful smorgasbord of candies and sweets and treats at, at frozen yogurt, and you go through and it's like, okay, what is the lightest condiment, sweet condiment that I can put on my frozen yogurt, right? You've been there, right? But then somebody's like, don't worry, I got you today. You're like, sweet, going for the heavy stuff, the gummy marts, like everything else, it's getting piled on, right? If you could have anything you wanted, what would you ask for? 
For some of us, it's as simple as, I'll get the big cup at the frozen yogurt place, pile as much of stuff on it. We'll pray for you. Don't worry. You're welcome in this space. That's a question I want you to think about this morning as we dive into Scripture. Where we're headed today is 1 Kings chapter 19 and 2 Kings chapter 2. So we're going to start in 1 Kings 19. Give you a moment to turn there uh, in your Bibles if you have them. Uh, By the way, those of you watching online or listening to the podcast later, really glad you're here. I'm pointing to the camera and then I don't know where to point for the podcast listeners, but glad you guys are a part of this community and joining in with us today. So 1 Kings uh, chapter 19. And, And while you're getting there, here's a little bit of context about what has happened. You heard of the prophet Elijah, right? Mount Carmel, fire from heaven. He's, uh, you know, kind of messing around with the prophets of Baal. It's the big showdown to see who's God of Israel. And there's the bet, right? If Baal can bring down fire, then fire, then Baal is God. If God, the God of Israel, brings down fire, then God is God. And so they have their shenanigans up on top of the mountain. It comes down that God brings the fire down from heaven, and the people of God say, God. He is the Lord. And Elijah single-handedly slaughters a whole bunch of the prophets of Baal. He goes on the run because the the king and the queen are upset with him, and he finds himself in this cave. And it's an often talked about piece of scripture that he's he's in this cave, and he's trying to hear the voice of God. And you you know the story. The, The fire comes by, the wind comes by, the storm comes by, but God was not in any of those elements. God comes in the still small voice, and asks Elijah, what are you doing here? Why are you here? And in that question, he kind of responds, I think, from an emotional spot. And he's like, God, I'm I'm the only guy left. And God wrestles with him in that. Because Elijah has just seen fire from heaven. He's just had the ability to take out, wipe out an entire set of false prophets. He's on the run, but God has saved his life. And he kind of Kipes back at God and is like, I'm the only one. Like, what's, what's next? God says, I have a mission and I have a purpose for you, Elijah. I need you to anoint two kings, one over Israel and one over Aram. And then I need you to find this guy named Elisha. Well, yeah, we'll get it sorted out in the next couple of weeks. Which one's Elijah? Which one's Elisha? This guy by the name of Elisha. And I need you to anoint him as your successor. That's where we pick up the story. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19. I'll put it up on the screen for you. So Elijah went and found Elisha, it's going to be hard today, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. And Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. Verse 20. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah and said, said to him, oh, first let me go uh, and kiss my father and mother goodbye and then I will go with you. And Elijah replied, go on back, but think about what I have done to you. Verse 21, so Elijah returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant kind of a a, a weird story, right? There's this guy, he comes, and uh, the one prophet takes and puts his cloak over Elisha, and for us, it's it's kind of a lost meaning, right? It'd be really weird if someone came up behind you today, like, Kike, if someone just comes up behind you and just, like, puts their coat over your head, and you're kind of like, what's what's going on here? Imagine you're studying in the library, you're walking across campus, and somebody just kind of, you know, like, practical joke, and if you've been thinking about that because there's a girl that you like, like, that's not, like, no, that's not the way to do it. 
But this particular moment in the life of Elijah was transformational. He knew what was going on. There was significance to the cloak of the prophet. So much so that later on, the, the woman who, with the issue of blood that was hemorrhaging says, if I could only touch the hem of Jesus' garment, then I would be healed. There's something special about that garment in the culture of the people. And so Elisha realizes what Elijah has done for him. He's placed a calling on his life through the placing of the cloak, of the mantle on his shoulders. And no doubt, Elisha himself has been thinking about what's the future for Israel. There's been false prophets and like, God, aren't you going to do something about this? And it's often when we recognize the false things that are going on around us and God gives us the insight and wisdom to stand up and say, no, this is, this is the ground that I need to stand on. He's often calling us to do something about it. So imagine he's been praying about that. And really, Elisha, he's the, the original definition of all in. Because like homeboy is plowing and the guy, Elijah puts the cloak on him and he goes back, kisses his mother and father goodbye. And then he comes back to the thing that had been his life, plowing in the field. And he slaughters the oxen, burns up the implements, the yoke that would, uh, that would use to, to yoke them and to, to plow the field. Roasts their flesh, provides a meal for the townspeople. And he's like, all right, Elijah, I'm with you. You ever ever had a friend that they get like a whiff of an idea or someone's like, that's a cool thing you should try. And they don't hesitate one moment. They're like, ah, I'm all in. I'm all in. It doesn't matter. I don't need to think about it. This is the direction that I'm heading. That was Elisha. And then Elisha goes and and follows Elijah. Spends time with him. There's a, a special bond between a rabbi and a prophet and their, their understudy, the person that they were bringing along with them. And it wasn't just, okay, hey, we're going to meet on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and we'll do a little bit of tutoring. No, this was Elisha is now going to live with Elijah and learn the ways of the prophet. And I imagine in, in my mind's eyes, they're kind of figuring out the boundaries of the relationship where they go. Elijah one day gets up and Elisha's like, okay, I got to follow him, figure out where he's going. And then Elisha kind of turns back around. And it's like, chill, dude, I'm just going to the bathroom. Like, it's like, <laughs> you know how to do that? I know, like, we're good there, right? But he follows Elijah. He's, just, he's the person that's helping him. He's taking care of him as, as Elijah is aging. And then the rest of, of 1 Kings just falls silent about Elisha. There's nothing else in the book of 1 Kings about him. There's some stuff about Elijah and, and, and how he is navigating the politics of the time, but nothing about Elisha until we come to 2 Kings chapter 2. So I invite you to flip over there. It should just be a couple of pages to the right. Uh, I guess you swipe left. Is that the, or I don't know, scroll, however you want to get there. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1, and here's where we pick up the story. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal. Should be a familiar story, right? The prophet Elijah is going to be taken up to heaven. He's the one that the, the paintings are depicted. He's sitting in the back of the chariot and the, the, the mantle's kind of falling down behind him. And he, he's, God's taking him up. And there's, there's significance to that. But there's these kind of enigmatic verses that follow this particular description. Because it's not just as simple as like, God's like, hey, come on up. And Elijah's like, okay. And Elisha's like, oh, I get it. Okay, we're going on. No, there, there's some things that are, that are happening to, to continue to mold the radical faith of Elisha. And we see that in verse 2 of 2 Kings chapter 2. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to Bethel. 
But Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went down together to Bethel. And verse 3 continues. The group of prophets from Bethel came to Elisha and asked him, Did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? And Elisha answers, Of course I know, but be quiet about it. Have you ever had that person that's like, Don't you know this is coming? Or like, Hey, like you're about to leave for school in a couple of days. And like you're kind of, I don't know about that. Or this new thing is coming about. It's just like, Just like keep it down. Like don't bug me about it. And the, the word in Hebrew that's translated here, but be quiet about it, is really the Hebrew equivalent of shh. So Elisha's just kind of like, like, chill. Like, it's okay. Like, I get it. Like, of course I know. Like, I, I've got a mission and, I, and I've got to focus on that. The story continues, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 4. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to Jericho. But Elisha replied again, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together to Jericho. Verse 5. Then the group of prophets from Jericho came to Elisha and asked him the same thing. Did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? And he says, of course I know. Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. Verse 6 wraps up this section. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here for the Lord has told me to go to the Jordan River. But again, Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together. Commentators posit that Elijah is testing Elisha this whole time to see his faith. Not in a way to try to trip him up, but to, to make sure that he's grounded, that he knows the direction that he's going, and he gives him every out and opportunity to say, if this is not for you, please stay here. But Elisha says, no, I know the calling that God has placed on my life, and I'm going to follow you wherever you go as long as I'm alive and as long as you are alive. So they continue on together. And then the stage gets set. 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. Fifty men from the group of the prophets also went and watched from a distance as Elisha, Elijah and Elisha stopped beside the Jordan River. And in verse 8, then Elijah folded his cloak together and struck the water with it. The river divided and the two of them went across on dry ground. Imagine that scene. Two men of God headed to the Jordan River. If you're an Israelite, if you're a Jew, this is ringing bells as there's a crossing of a body of water. And every time that there's a crossing of a body of water for the Jewish people, for the Israelites, something incredible is about to happen. You see it at the Red Sea as the Israelites are going through there, fleeing Egypt, and God provides. You see it at the Jordan River as they're crossing into the Promised Land. God provides, and these two guys are crossing a river, and God is about to do something. And there's 50 people who will be witness to it. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9 puts it this way. When they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I am taken away. You can have anything you want. What are you going to ask for? And Elisha replied, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. Elisha gets that question that we all want, right? Like, what do you want? Anything. Blank check. We're going to Froyo right now, and it's on me. Whatever you want. Over the past couple of years, uh, wife and I reg would regularly take her grandmother to, to go get uh, Jamba Juice. Anybody like Jamba Juice? Yeah, I see some head nods. You know, smoothies and juices and that type of thing. And her grandmother would always order. She loved the, the acai smoothie. 
Um, and she would always, we go through the drive-thru, we're pulling up on the, the window, whatever. She would ask for a double portion of acai. Because how could you go wrong with a double portion of acai, right? One good thing, double it, and it becomes even better. I want more acai in that. And this is not Elisha's kind of drive through window moment for Jamba Juice, but there's, there's some connection there, right? He says, I want to double share. I want a double portion. of if, if, if the spirit that was with you was good enough for you, then in the calling that God's placed on my life, if I can have double of that, then I will be okay. But there's more significance here than just doubling it and being like, okay, that's great to go. There's significance in the fact that Elisha is using covenant and kinship language. What he's asking for is to be considered in the eyes of Elijah and the eyes of God to be the firstborn. Because in Israelite culture, the firstborn would receive a double portion of the inheritance from the father. Now, the question in your mind is like, well, how do you double an inheritance, right? And how is that fair for the rest of the the children of the father? Well, the firstborn would receive a double share in that the estate, if there were five boys, the estate would be divided into six. And the firstborn would receive two out of the six shares and the other four brothers would receive one out of the four. Elisha is asking for a seat at the table to be considered as the firstborn. And he doesn't ask for material things. He doesn't ask for money, for wealth. This is his Solomon moment, right? First Kings chapter 3 where God comes to Solomon and says, ask whatever you want. Solomon thinks and says, if I could just have understanding and wisdom, that's, that, that's all I need. And God says, okay, because you've asked for that, I'm going to add on to you the other riches and blessings that you could have asked for. Because there's a truth that runs throughout Scripture that when we seek first the kingdom of God and we seek his knowledge and understanding, everything else will be added to us. I encourage you this morning to seek first the kingdom of God. And this, another example comes from this very passage speaking about Elisha. Prophets and Kings, page 226, puts it this way. Elisha knew that nothing but the spirit which had rested upon Elijah could fit him to fill the place in Israel to which God had called him. So there's nothing else. If the spirit's good enough for you, it's good enough for me. I'm going to bet my life on that, and that's what I'm going to ask for. Elijah turns to Elisha in verse 10 of 2 Kings chapter 2. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah replied. It's difficult, right? How do you, how do you quantify the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? And how can Elijah speak on behalf of God that says, yeah, absolutely, you're going to get a double portion of that. But Elijah, Elijah replies and, and gives Elisha a sign. If you see me when I'm taken away from you, then you will get your request. But if you do not, then you won't. Ever ask God for a sign? Hey God, if this happens, then I'll know that your, your blessing or favor is on this. And Elijah gives him a sign. How often do we ask for difficult, impossible things? That we're faced with difficult circumstances. We don't know where the money is going to come from. We don't know where the relational equity is going to come from. Don't know the next steps to take. And when we face impossible circumstances, are we willing to ask impossible or ask for impossible answers? Because there's a God in heaven who's willing and waiting to, to bestow that upon us. Sometimes we're found in our little prayers. Then the moment happens. Elisha's taken up from Elisha's place, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11. 
as they were walking along and talking, and imagine Elijah had some more, like, man, you really asked a difficult thing, but you hang on, like, if you look. And suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men, separating them, and Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. And I'll pause on this for just a moment because in our mind's eye, normally Elijah's the one kind of kicking it on the chariot, right? He's got the reins in hand and just kind of taking that speedway up to heaven. But the way that this scripture is written, Elijah does not ride the chariot to heaven. He is taken up in a whirlwind. And the chariot actually blocks Elisha's view of Elijah going to heaven. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 12. Elisha saw it the chariot, and cried out, my father, my father, I see the chariots and the charioteers of Israel. And as they disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his clothes in distress because the sign that the prophet had given him had not come through. Didn't get to see Elijah go into heaven because the chariot had blocked his view. And he leaves dejected and he's mourning and he he tears his clothes and he doesn't know where to turn. And so he retraces his steps. Verse 13, Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen when he was taken up. Then Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan River. What's next, right? The sign didn't come through. God didn't deliver. Didn't happen the way it was supposed to. Then verse 14, He struck the water with Elijah's cloak and cried out, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? You've been in that moment where things don't happen how they're supposed to and you cry out at the top of your lungs, where are you, God? Because if you're out there, I could really need you right now. There was a sign that was promised to me that didn't come through. Where are you, God? And as he takes the cloak and retraces his steps, he throws and smacks the cloak on the water and the river divided and Elisha went across. Verse 15 finishes the pericope we're looking at today. When the group of the prophets from Jericho saw from a distance what happened, they exclaimed, Elijah's spirit rests upon Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. What happened, right? The sign was not fulfilled. But there's a God who's bigger working behind the scenes. God was working to bring about a radical faith in Elisha. That even though the sign was not fulfilled, God was working to pour out his spirit upon Elisha. Because there is a God in heaven who is desirous of pouring out his spirit upon us. If he can do it for Elisha, he can do it for us. There's this guy by the name of Jesus. Anybody ever met him? A few of you. Okay, yeah, I got any men up here. Uh, Luke chapter 11, uh, verse 13. Jesus speaking to his disciples says, So if you sinful people, you sinful nature that you've got, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This comes from a section of scripture where Jesus is like, hey, you being good parents, you're not, when your, your son or daughter asks for something good, you're not going to give them a snake or a scorpion. You're going to give them the good thing. And if you know how to give good gifts, how much more is the Father desirous to pour out the ultimate gift of the Holy Spirit on those who ask? 
And what we pull from this story and this experience of Elisha, as he's asked for the double blessing, he's asked for the double portion, he could have had all the riches in the world, he could have anything that he could possibly want, but he says, no, I need the Holy Spirit. God says, here you go. We're gonna spend the next couple of weeks looking at how the Holy Spirit is poured out in Elisha's life and how the double portion, how he walks around living out that double portion living life from abundance, not from scarcity, living from this fullness that only comes from seeking the kingdom of God first. So I'll leave you with this question today. If you could have anything, anything, what would you ask for? For Elisha, he asked for the spirit of God. How about you? Thanks so much for listening to this message from Elevate Retake. You can find this and much, much more on our podcast feed. Love for you to be a part of the journey. You can find us on Instagram. Link is in the description. And, you know, above all else, we want you to be a part of the community. So if you've got a response or something you'd like to add to the retake episode, go ahead and leave us a voice message. And we'll catch you on Thursday for Elevate Retake.